tribe of the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta, this is your personal transgender scientist, Dana Bevan. Ryan Anderson is a religious scholar who has achieved some fame writing in opposition to same-sex marriage and transgender rights. In his book, When Harry Became Sally, he draws heavily on the work of Paul McHugh. They both try to reach their objectives by misusing science cherry-picking, misquoting, using discredited studies, and not presenting the whole picture. Both have been involved with numerous court cases concerning transgender rights, and, so it is rumored, were involved in designing and executing the transgender military ban documents in the United States. In this episode, I won't waste your time or mine debunking their arguments. I've already done that point-by-point in my blog posts on tgforum.com. Instead, I will tell you the scientific truth about several of the topics they raise. The first topic is sex versus gender. Listeners of this podcast have heard why sex and gender are not the same thing. Sex refers to organs, gender to behavior. There are also three lines of evidence that separate the two. One is the existence of transgender people themselves. The second is the dissociation of gender in identical twins in which one is transgender and the other is not, but they both have the same sex. The third is the dissociation of markers of gender behavior predisposition predisposition and sex. The second topic refers to sex determination. Sex is almost universally determined at birth by classification of the anatomy of external sex organs. Characterization of DNA and chromosomes are hardly ever used. In grade school, we are taught that the two sex chromosomes are labeled X and Y. We were told that X and Y chromosomes produce male genitalia and XX produce female genitalia. But this is an oversimplification. There are several hundred genetic variations that produce differences in sexual development from what you might expect given XY and XX chromosome combinations. Some gene configurations result in indeterminate sex. These latter cases are self-referred to as intersex or differences in sexual development. They are important because they point to the wide variation in sex development. The genes for sex organs are not found on the X or Y chromosome. Only the trigger for male development, the SRY gene, is found on the Y chromosome. It merely triggers a gene on a non-sex chromosome to start the genetic cascade that results in male bodies. The recipes for male and female sex are not found on the X or Y chromosomes. They are mostly found on the other 44 chromosomes, and there are a large number of variations, as many as there are people in the world. Witness the long history of failures in sex determination by international athletics and the Olympic economic enterprises. They've tried all sorts of indicators and sponsored research on this topic, but they still resort to genital inspection, much to the embarrassment of the athletes. They are currently trying to further embarrass people by requiring the modification of testosterone levels. One runner, Castor Semina, has been told to take hormone blockers to reduce her natural testosterone levels, even though these levels pose no threat to her health. Her case is on appeal. The testosterone levels of males and females overlap, and there is no clear evidence that they affect performance within a sex group. If there was not so much money on the line, none of this would matter. 
Each athlete compete with themselves to establish personal best performances, which is what most amateur runners do. One cannot claim that every cell in the body has the same DNA message. There are some 37 trillion cells in the body, and 25 trillion have no DNA in them at all. They are the red blood cells. We've just begun to understand the other 12 trillion cells with respect to the genetics of sex and the genetics of gender behavior predisposition. Some cells in your body are alien. Some of these cells come from your mother during pregnancy, so males automatically have some female cells. People also get cells from previous siblings, both male and female, through their mothers. And opposite sex fraternal twins share cells and hormones in the womb. Other sources of foreign cells include blood transfusions and bone marrow transplants. All forms of cell exchange potentially include genetic information that could affect behavior. The brain is, appears to be a safe harbor for foreign cells that are not successfully killed by the immune system in other parts of the body. And a few people are their own twins, having different DNA in different parts of their bodies. As genome characterization increases in usage, we'll probably find some other exceptions. The third topic is, can people really change sex? Most of the sex organs of the bodies have both male and female sex hormone receptors that can change anatomy and function long after birth. Hormone therapy, or HT, stimulates these receptors with testosterone to make male changes, or estradiol for female changes. This is how trans women grow breasts, and trans men start to grow beards. HT transformations include secondary sex organs like hair, brain, skin, and spinal cord. For those organs that cannot be changed by hormone therapy, surgeries can be performed on some sex organs to change anatomy, but they don't always provide complete function as yet. Surgeries are satisfactory for breast reduction, creation of a vagina, and changing facial and other features. Surgery is improving, but not yet satisfactory for creation of external male genitalia. But penile transplants are on the horizon. Several successful pregnancies have resulted from uterine transplants, but none for transgender people. So the answer is yes, sex can be changed, because almost all sex organs can be changed. If someone requires all of them to be present for a given sex, then they also have to recategorize females with hysterectomies, or those who cannot conceive, and those males who receive chemical castration for prostate cancer. Generally, our culture refuses to do these recategorizations. The fourth topic is, is being transgender pathological or crazy? The answer is no. So let's go to the authorities. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, otherwise known as the DSM, is the definitive classification of mental diseases and disorders. The manual includes codes so that treatment can be billed to insurance companies and governments. Last year, the DSM was modified to depathologize being transgender, but retained a non-pathological billing code for transsexual transition called gender dysphoria. As we know from a previous episode, 90% of transgender people do not undergo transsexual transition and therefore cannot in any way be considered gender dysphoric. And those who do undergo transition do so because of the stress, anxiety, and reactive depression that results from dealing with a body 
that does not match cultural expectations of one's gender. It's not from a mental illness. There are more topics that need to be addressed, and we'll be sure to treat them in future episodes, but that's enough to give you a sample of the real science. Anderson talks about the transgender ideology, but he doesn't indicate his own ideology. I've known many transgender people, and they are so diverse that it's difficult for me to believe that they agree on most anything, except they should be free to express themselves. It took me a while to do some social science research, but your transgender scientist has identified Anderson's ideology. It's called heterogenderism. Heterogenderism, a system of attitudes, bias, and discrimination in favor of binary, rigid gender categories, corresponding to aligned sex and sexual orientation categories. It assumes that these cultural roles are the norm and that anyone who does not follow them is abnormal and therefore inferior. The arguments of heterogenderism are very similar to its predecessor ideology, heterosexism, used against gay people, which Anderson participated in. And before that, the isms of sexism against females and racism against people of color. Misuse of science has been employed by all of these isms to justify their cruelty. Heaven forbid that one should be at the intersection of transgender, gay, and person of color. Intersectionality is a growing field of social science research. What is going on in heterogenderism is that Anderson and McHugh seek to make gender disappear and be subsumed by sex. The phrases they use instead of gender are sex-typical traits and behavior, and gender as a social manifestation of sex. In this way, they force people to see gender as sex, which destroys the whole meaning of being transgender and denies the existence of transgender people. For example, a trans woman may be perceived as an effeminate gay male if gender is no longer in the picture. Not that there's anything wrong with being an effeminate gay male, but that can also fall under heterosexism. Since culture tries to keep sex under rigid control, then transgender people will be put under similar control, which has the effect of making them invisible. Cross-dressing is thus equated with public nudity. The really insidious part of heterogenderism is that transgender people can come to believe that they are inferior. This tactic is known as gaslighting. LGBT folks sense that they must fight back against the isms. Why do you think that we have pride celebrations? Combine heterogenderism with populism and you have a witch's brew of public policy, which threatens the right of transgender people to have normal lives or join the military. People like our founding fathers who experience this sort of tyranny spelled out rights to protect minorities, but they are currently in jeopardy. Oh, by the way, Harry did not become Sally. She already was Sally. Next time, we will talk about transgender etiquette.